Uh, if you would, please open your Bibles to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. Uh, I'll actually just read the last, uh, the uh, verse 3, just to kind of finish out that clause. Um, it's actually quite providential um, that we're once again... Uh, as we begin this sermon series in the morning, talking about the Word of God and the way in which that is uh, what shapes this church, which is foundational to our faith, uh, <clears throat> and having preached on 2 Peter 1, 16-21, and now we're getting back into a reminder, a remembrance of what Peter is bringing uh, to forebear. Once again, we're harpening back on the importance of Scripture, the importance of the word of God. And Peter is <clears throat> setting us up um, for uh, relying upon God, relying upon Christ, and looking forward to the day in which Christ will return. And it's almost as if his, his main purpose in the beginning of the epistle, he says, to those who are obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, laying forth that we should confirm our election and calling, that the very standard of that is scripture. He kind of breaks off for a whole chapter in his epistle, uh, a little excursus or a side quest to deal with false teachers. And now he's bringing it back, bringing it back to the foundations and remembering uh, that Christ Jesus will return regardless of uh, these false teachers that are bringing forth different heresies. And so again, we'll be looking at 2 Peter 3, uh, verses 1 through 2. I'll just read verse 3 to kind of bump it back up into the context. Once again, hear now God's holy and inerrant and infallible word. Peter writes, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. This is the word of God. Let us pray once more. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. As we uh, dive into it, as we read your scripture, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey the glorious truths of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we're getting into this, uh, this season in life, uh, probably everybody's favorite uh, period uh, uh, in anticipating football season coming up. Um, and it's interesting because we look at Peter and he's repeating these themes all throughout. He's not really giving us these new things. And in the same way, when we look at training for athletic feats, athletic events, uh, to be a master in your uh, athletic field, it would behoove you to not just train one specific area, right? If you want to get good at football, maybe being a quarterback, you can throw the ball as much as you want, but you have to do other things as well, such as running, doing sprints, some type of strength training, so on and so forth. And the reason behind that, a lot of uh, exercise scientists have found that uh, when you train uh, the same movements in different ways, you're hitting them at different angles to bolster you, to make you a better athlete, to make you well-rounded and well-versed. And so in the same way, we have the Apostle Peter, he's reiterating the exact same doctrine that he's already laid forth in both the beginning of this second letter and in his first letter. 
And what is the theme? What is, what is it exactly he's bringing forth? Well, first and foremost, that we should confirm our election and calling. That's what he tells us in chapter 1 of Second Peter. And then secondly, uh, right after that, that we should search the scriptures, that we should let scripture decide, the prophets and the apostles decide for us, because it's God-breathed, because they weren't carried along by their own opinions, but they are carried along by the Holy Spirit, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then can we understand God's will for our life. We should be actively pursuing these different areas of the faith. And just like in his first letter, when he's talking about pursuing the word of God, he said we should do it like thus, like newborn infants who long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it we may grow into salvation. Yet at the same time, we can't just be dependent on merely the spiritual milk alone. Again, Pastor Caleb brought this up in the children's service, that milk is good for a time for infants, but we can't just live on it by itself, that we need the, the meatiness, the, the carb-dense word of God to really penetrate inside of us, to give us that sustenance. We need the bread of life. We need Christ Jesus to direct us in our every life. And so Peter is reminding the saints of God, and by proxy, he's reminding us to be stirred up, to be stirred up and encouraged by the return of Christ. And he does this in three ways, and uh, you'll see that these are very common and very similar, just like Peter's approach to his epistle. And the first is the purpose reiterated, secondly, the purpose restated, and then thirdly, the purpose reinforced. So the purpose reiterated, the purpose restated, and then thirdly, the purpose reinforced. So we'll get first to the purpose reiterated. Again, Peter writes this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, it's interesting, we look at what Peter is saying, but we tend to kind of neglect the fact or, or gloss over what he is not saying. And again, he's, he's stirring us up by way of reminder of those predictions that the holy prophets brought forth, that the commandments of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the apostles, through the means of the apostles, has brought to his people. And now, now Peter isn't saying things that we hear in modern terms that, well, doctrine divides, and so we shouldn't, we shouldn't think about doctrine, and there's no creed but Christ, and so we shouldn't really get too deep into the theological weeds of things and, and study our Bibles. Don't worry about all that doctrinal stuff. Let's just love one another and, and be as inclusive as possible. But what's interesting is, is Peter is harping on these same themes, these same issues, because they need to be repeated. And there's an urgency as well. And if you remember, uh, this is Peter's last letter that he's writing. And tradition has it that Peter was uh, martyred, that he was crucified upside down. Uh, if crucifixion wasn't miserable enough, he chose to be crucified upside down as, as tradition holds. So there's, there's this urgency. It's like this shotgun blast of, here's all you need to know. Be sure you follow God's commands and laws because Peter knows that he's, about to, that he's about to meet the Lord in glory. Again, it's a sense of urgency that Peter, as an apostle of God, is reiterating these things over and over and over again. 
Now, this idea of uh, stirring up is also to uh, wake one up or to arouse someone when they are asleep. And Peter also uses this in uh, verses 13 and 15 of chapter 1. He He says this, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Again, Peter is stirring up the saints of God because there's this urgency. He knows that he's going to face martyrdom, but he knows the importance of these foundational truths. And not only these truths, but bracketed, sandwiched in between that, is this admonition against false teachers. It's not if false teachers come, or perhaps you will encounter false teachers, but when this inevitably happens, turn to Scripture. Be like the Bereans who could turn to Scripture and determine whether or not what Paul was preaching was true. So too, when false teachers inevitably arise amongst you, discern from the truth of the Word of God whether or not what they are saying is true. He's awakening this, this sense of spiritual laxity uh, that, we, that we tend to have or complacency where we hear the same message over and over. It becomes redundant and routine. Uh, we don't want to grow beyond it. We just check the blocks. Uh, we're prone to having this message, the message of the gospel, day in and day out, at least on Sundays, preached to us. And it goes out in one ear and out the other. Yet, yet Peter is reiterating these spiritual truths. Why? Why would Peter be harping on the same thing if it wasn't foundational, if it wasn't important? He's, he's emphasizing the very foundations of the gospel, that those predictions, those truths that the prophets and the apostles on the foundation of Christ Jesus our Lord is being proclaimed that we ought to hold to that. And it becomes an antidote against these false teachers that he talks about in chapter And he really summarizes that if we are growing in these various qualities, if we are abounding in this grace and increasing, then that restrains us from being unfruitful or ineffective in 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 the area in which we were called by God. Peter also says this, Uh, by stirring up our sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, what's interesting is when he uses the term sincere mind, it was also used by Plato to mean pure reason. And this pure reason is uncontaminated by the seductive influence of the senses. So it's, in essence, he's saying, look to the objective truth apart from what you feel, how you feel about it, how your emotions are are affecting you, but look to it with all purity, with all sincerity. All of this sincerity of mind and this enlivening of the will, the heart, and the emotions to service unto God is absolutely grounded in the scriptures. Again, Peter emphasized this in verses 16 through 21 of chapter 1. And again, later in, uh, in chapter 3, he says this. He, he harpens again on the very fact that we should be searching the scriptures. And he says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things 
in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructive or own destruction, excuse me, as they do the other scriptures. Now, this is for somebody at a later time, um, but regardless, Peter is basically attributing Paul's writings to scripture. He's saying, you should listen to what Paul has to say. Granted, there are difficult things, and we could all agree with that sentiment, that there are difficult things that Paul is writing. Yet Peter is unashamed. He's saying, listen to what he says. Why? Because it's the word of God. Because God has spoken through the Holy Spirit. Again, it needs to be, this point needs to be reiterated. It needs to be reinforced and grounded in our own mind. In uh, Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, there's this, there's this interesting kind of dialogue between, uh, between Christian, the main protagonist, and evangelist, basically his, uh, his helper or his guide throughout the book. And uh, Christian, the main character, he, he takes heed of some of the advice that Mr. Worldly Wiseman gives to him and kind of falls off the path that the evangelist, that evangelist has uh, been telling him to walk upon, staying upon that narrow path. Um, and instead of, uh, you know, Christian being, this, being a, a baby Christian at this point in the narrative, he again needs these reminders from godly people in order to enforce what was first given to him. This is the, the dialogue. It kind of occurs over a couple pages, uh, but this is what Evangelist, the, the other protagonist, answers Christian after he had warned him of straying from this path, of not getting into uh, the different perils from worldly wise men's advice. He says this, what doest thou here, Christian, said he, that is Evangelist, at which words Christian knew not what to answer. Wherefore, at present, he stood speechless before him. And later, Evangelist says, Did not I direct thee the way to the little wicked gate? How is it then thou art so quickly turned aside? For thou art now out of the way. And then later in this encounter, Bunyan writes, Then Evangelist proceeded, saying, Give more earnest heed to the things that I shall tell thee of. And so it is with us as well as as people of God, we have to be reminded of the various ways to stay on the path. While we walk on this path, while we walk, while we're sojourners here on this earth, pilgrim people looking forward to the return of Christ, to the new heavens and the new earth, we're often led astray off the path by various things. And we need the foundation of the word of God to keep us on that narrow path. We can't do it in and of ourselves. As, as privileged as we are, as, as intelligent as we think we are, as, as cultural as we think we are, at the end of the day, we're sheep. And, and to be crass, to put it crassly, sheep are dumb in and of themselves. They can't find green pastures by themselves. Some of you who have farmed have probably witnessed it before. They, they get themselves into hairy situations. They get themselves into dangerous situations. But we, apart from being reminded constantly that we need the word of God, that we need the good shepherd to lead us to green pastures, to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, because we can't do it on our own. We need these constant reminders. And again, again, I think this is the purpose, the reminder that, that Peter is bringing to bear for the people of God is not just, these are just some things you need to know. No, I need to reiterate this. I need to give you these snippets of truth in different ways until it gets ingrained into your mind. 
And so again, Peter is reminding the saints of God, both then and now, us, to be stirred up by way of his purpose reiterated, and secondly, his purpose restated, saying it again. Look at me, if you will, in verse 2. Peter says this, that, or the reason that you should, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter is telling us to not only to obey what Christ says, but to also remember what the prophets and the apostles have said. And once again, going back to verses 16 through 21, he talks about the very fact that this prophecy of scripture hasn't come from someone's own interpretation. It doesn't just come from these people who are saying, well, I walked with Jesus and I know some things about it. No, it came as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, not by their own will, not by the will of man, but the will of the Spirit of God. And so Peter is restating the same purpose. Again, he said, this is the second letter I am writing to you. Now, in his first letter, he more or less gave them uh, different themes throughout his first letter uh, to embolden them. And the first was the surety of their salvation. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, in terms of the surety of Christian salvation, Peter writes this, In this that is suffering, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, or excuse me, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he also, later in that epistle, the same epistle, is first letter he wrote to his people uh, gives us some practical implications of our own Christian salvation, how we ought to live. He's not just laying forth doctrine, but he's telling us how we ought to live as well. And he says this in chapter 2 and verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, that is Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So not only are we encouraged through our trials, through our suffering, because we're being purified while we're going through the testing of fire, like gold is purified, But so also, just like Christ was rejected and was a stone, we are also to be living stones, to be built up as a spiritual house of God. And then thirdly, Peter talks about the various suffering and and service that we encounter as well. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, sufferings and trials were very, very common with the first century Christians. It included various insults. It included uh, slanderous accusations of wrongdoing. Uh, when, when, the, uh, when Nero's fire occurred, he blamed the Christians for it. The Christians had absolutely nothing to do with it, but he blamed them for it. It encouraged more persecution. 
Uh, uh, beatings were normative. They were a regular practice to first century Christians. Social ostracism as well. They were ostracized for just believing it. Similar with our own sports rivalries that we have here. Now, I'm not from the South, but our, our main sports rivalry was Ohio State and Michigan. And so I don't know why, but I don't like Michigan fans. I can't put the, the nail on it, but that's just part of my ontological being of who I am being an Ohioan. It has nothing to do with whether or not I know them, but they're being ostracized for who they are. So to the Christians, just for the fact of bearing the name of Christ, were ostracized. There was also sporadic mob violence. If you think of the many times Paul was beaten as he was going through and preaching through the various cities. And even local police action would have to be involved as well. Christians were put into prison. And eventually, Christians became the very object of uh, the, Ro uh, the Roman uh, gladiator events and being mutilated by beasts, by being uh, killed by different warriors. At no time were they put in the limelight and, and widely or, or, or held in some type of esteem. And it's interesting, just in general, as we look at the apostles' message, the apostles' plural, they're, they're never shying away from the fact that Christians will suffer. And it's very antithetical. It's very reverse of what we're taught in our own modern context, the way that the modern Christian church is uh, bringing forth different things, the way that the social gospel preaches and teaches. They shy away from that suffering. They shy away from persecution. But all the apostles, if you go and look at, especially their later letters that they have written, if you look to 2 Timothy, uh, arguably Paul's last letter, or this one, Peter's last letter, or even John's final letters, they are anticipating this great suffering. They are waiting for it. As Christ told his people, just as they hate me and persecute me, so they will also hate you and persecute you. But Peter is reminding us not only in the second letter, but in his first letter as well, that the surety of our salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is our foundation for enduring these various hardships and sufferings. <clears throat> By way of example, Hugh Latimer on October 16th, 1555, he was burned at the stake along with Nicholas Ridley. Uh, they were uh, Protestants in a Catholic world at the time, and uh, it is quoted as uh, Latimer was saying to Ridley, he says this, Play the man, Master Ridley, we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. These men knew the cost of holding to Christ. Do you also know the cost? Thomas Watson uh, says this in his sermon, Man's Chief End is to Glorify God, from our Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. He says, God's glory shines in the ashes of his martyrs. Think about that. The very foundation of our suffering because of what Christ went through, that shines. I mean, ashes are black and dead. They're dust on the ground. But he says they shine because of God's glory in them. And so when we look at this, let me ask you, are you reminded of what Christ has done for you? 
Are you reminded day in and day out through your own private devotions and reading the scripture, perhaps your family worship when you lead your house as a husband, as a wife, leading through family worship or even through the hearing of the preaching of the word of God on Sundays? Are you willing also to suffer for those promises that you have in him? I think it's something we need to consider. Now, I'm not saying to go out and be martyrs and seek martyrdom, nothing like that, but it begs the question, are we willing to suffer on behalf of Christ? And Peter is reminding his people that although these false teachers will come, although these false prophets will come, although suffering will come, not they might come, but they will come to hold fast to what the holy prophets and the apostles have said in the various commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ has said. Again, Peter is reminding the saints of God to be stirred up by the purpose reiterated, secondly, the purpose restated, and then finally, the purpose reinforced. Now, let me again read to you verses 1 through 2 with this in mind, this reinforcement in mind. Peter says this, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and in both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter is reminding us in his first letter uh, the nature of Christ's resurrection and what Christ had done from, for us, that he freed us from the bondage of sin, that we are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, but we are made alive by Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that we should live the very lives accordingly as well. We shouldn't just take it and then hide in, in a monastic setting away from everybody, but we should demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, the way that God has redeemed us through loving one another. And now why is this important? It's because the day of the Lord will come. There's a consistent theme, again, with the later writings of all these apostles, even the prophets as well. They're anticipating, although there's judgment coming, although there's trials and tribulation coming, there will be a day of the Lord when, the God, when God will reign supreme. We should turn to the truth of God's word to sustain us until Christ Jesus comes again. And Peter in this entire second epistle is really reminding us that this truth of the gospel, it stands firm amidst the various storms that we are encountered with. Again, the gospel is true as affirmed by the prophets and the apostles. And despite the fact that false teachers like persecution will come, the gospel is the only safeguard against it, right? Education, where you went to seminary, where you went to school, where you went to graduate school, so on and so forth, those aren't your safeguards against false teaching. The word of God is your only safeguard. It is the only antidote against it when you are bitten by the false vipers of the world. Again, he's focused also primarily on what truth is and also contrasts it to what truth is not. This is what Peter, again, is writing, what he's reinforcing in this epistle, that truth is first a supplementation of our faith with good works. He says this in 2 Peter 
chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1 and 5. Verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, with knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and so on and so forth. To supplement this with good works. Secondly, he says, to not follow cleverly devised myths. In verse 16 of chapter 1, to not follow falsehood, but to stick to what is true. And then also remembering the fullness of the prophetic word in chapter 1, verse 19. That we have that more fully confirmed. Again, it's that lamp that shines along the path. As we walk through the dark times in our own lives, the word of God is that lamp to shine, to keep us on the narrow path, lest we stray. And also that the scriptures are the product of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this at length already in verse 21 of chapter 1. And also, ultimately, to look forward to the day of the Lord in chapter 3, verses 5 through 13. And also that when we are confronted with the truth, when we have the truth in it, when we are reading the truth, that it's often difficult, as he says with Paul's letters. It's, it's not easy to handle the truth, to deal with the truth of the word. <clears throat> and in contrast as well, again, the truth is not a myth. We're not to follow these cleverly devised myths. The truth is not denying the master who bought you from chapter 2. It is not following false teachers and their sensualities and their various blasphemes those who entice weak souls for sordid gain, and so forth. Now, if you were here this morning, uh, Pastor Carl gave uh, this, this great illustration with reference to Scripture and the Word of God and calling it the unholy trinity of our, our modern sentiments regarding the Word of God. And he said this, that it, Scripture often comes at odds with our wants, our needs, and our feelings. And when we place those above the word of God, what we want from scripture, our own selfish needs, or how we feel about these difficult passages in scripture, if we let that take place over who God has revealed himself as a triune God, as the objective truth in here, then it'll be difficult for us to fight against falsehood. So what type of soil are you willing to be? What type of soil are you willing to plant your house upon? If we are to be living stones, foundations for the, uh, for the house of God, we must place ourselves on the firm, rocky, solid foundation that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's difficult to do. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, it, it, it strikes me at my core because I feel it almost all the time. It's a psalm about Asaph, and basically in the first half of the psalm, he's dealing with the various false teachers, uh, both the false teachers of Israel and the wicked nations surrounding Israel. And he's lamenting because they seem to be prospering. They seem to be uh, unaffected by uh, the follies of this world. But it's until, he says, until he comes into the sanctuary of God, until he rebukes the wants, needs, and feelings of his, own, of his own mind and comes to the truth of Scripture, only then is he able to see clearly. And again, Peter is reminding us to be stirred up of this, to be stirred up for the very word of God, because we are faced with false teaching daily. We have such access in our own culture, various social media platforms, to false teaching. 
But even still, even to what we're faced with now, this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's still the same types of false doctrine that Peter and Paul and John were aware of in the first century. It's just repackaged, repurposed. They get a new brand name and they push it out until it's stricken down and they do the same thing. And it's the same false teaching that Satan in the garden tempted Adam and Eve with. But... Rather than seek them, we are to seek Christ in the scriptures because of the very promise he gives us in John 15, 26. He says, but when the helper comes, and thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit has come, if you are in Christ, he says, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is the agent in which we can read the scriptures, we can see the truths that God has laid forth for us and grasp them and hold on to them. So in conclusion, in wrapping this up, Peter is reminding us as the saints of God to be stirred up by reiterating his purpose, by restating his purpose, and finally by reinforcing his Purpose. So where will you stand? Where will you turn to when you need to be stirred up? Again, going back to uh, everyone's, most people's favorite time of year in fall with sports coming up and our favorite sports team. And how apt are we to be stirred up, to be invigorated by our team, perhaps our favorite professional sports team or where we went to college. We get so worked up and so amped up by how they are doing. But when it comes to scripture, when it comes to the Lord's day, when it comes to the reading of God's words, the means of grace that enlivens and enriches what Christ has for us, are we going to be equally, if not more, stirred up as we ought to be because of it? Only the word of God will sustain us. Now, oddly enough, and I say oddly enough, uh, tongue in cheek, because through God's providence, I didn't know what was going to be preached this morning and already had this into the sermon. But uh, we read the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, questions 155 and also 160. And I actually quoted in here uh, as by way of reminder, the shorter catechism, question 90, when it comes to the word of God and the importance of scripture. And the question is thus, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? The answer that the divines have, that we hold to as Presbyterians, that the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. And brothers and sisters, this is to really encapsulate what Peter is reminding us through this epistle and in his second letter and to us. And with that, let us go to our Lord in prayer once more. <clears throat> Most gracious Father, Lord, help us to not become uh, deaf to your word, to not become uh, relaxed to it, to not become lethargic, to the same message preached over and over. But through your spirit, Lord, let it be a warning unto us that you are providing us different angles of approach to understand the truths of the gospel, to hear the truths of the message that you have given to us. 
And Lord, we ask that your spirit would enliven our hearts, would embolden us to your service, to seek you out in spirit and in truth, and to put away all falsehood, to seek the resurrected Lord in the word of God. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.